0: Well, Mount Calvary Church is about praying, investing, and inviting in the lives of others. When we think about that, this week is Go Beyond Week. It's an opportunity for us along with other churches and organizations here in Lancaster County to go beyond, to go out of our doors into the neighborhood And to invest in the lives of others. We've been sharing with you about the big things that are taking place down at the stadium this week. It's already closed off. It's packed. There's no more room for anybody to come uh, uh, for the packing of the food. Uh, It's amazing how God has provided all of the food. But we have opportunities right here in E-Town this week. You'll see in the bulletin we were contacted by an organization called Servants who ministers to people in need. And uh, there is a couple down in Foulmouth who has gone through a lot of physical problems. The man is in a wheelchair, and they need a ramp built on the front of their porch. The porch needs to be repaired also. Here's an opportunity for us as a church to go beyond and uh, minister. And, And they'd like to do this in two different parts, next Friday and then on Saturday. So if, you're, if you could help us on Friday or on Saturday to build a ramp, uh, if you can swing a hammer, you can go. Servants organization is paying for all the material. They're just looking for some churches here in E-Town to rally and provide workers. So if you're available either on Friday or Saturday... Please let me know, and uh, we have, there's a, um, some paperwork that you have to fill out to do this with the servants organization, but if you can help us. The other thing we want to encourage you is to look for opportunities in your neighborhood. Maybe you want to cut your neighbor's grass this week. Maybe you want to bake something and take it to them, but look for some ways that you can invest in the lives of other people this week. One of the things that we're doing as a church this week is this is also National Police Week opportunity. You know, our police have gone through some tough times recently, haven't they? And so we want to be an encouragement to the two police departments in our town. So this week I went to Ellis and I talked to the owner, Kim, there. And I said, Kim, uh, Mount Calvary Church wants to provide two meals for all of the E-Town officers this week. So they can come in any day and get meals twice this week on our church. Up here at uh, Country Meadows, Sally, the owner there, is going to do the same thing with the Northwest Police Department. And uh, they can go there, any of the police, the detectives, and get two meals on Mount Calvary Church. Just our way of saying, hey, thank you so much for all you do for us. And uh, so that's one of the things that we're doing as a church to go beyond and just show our police that we appreciate them and love them. Now, I know we have some police officers that are in our church who are in neither one of those forces, right? So if you're a police officer from our church and you're another one of those forces, you can go to Country Meadows and you can go to Ella's this week and you can eat four meals on us, Okay. So you can eat all week on us. There's a, I know we have two or three officers that come here on a regular basis, and we love you. We appreciate you. And so if you're a police officer in our church, you can go to both places and eat this week. Just our way of saying thank you to our police. So be praying this week. How does God want to use us to invest in the life of others so that eventually we'll have opportunities to invite them to church and hopefully to invite them to a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, for two weeks, I don't want to miss this, we have forgot to announce, so we're going to go back. Can you go back and find the picture for me, guys, of Trevor? Can you do that? I know this is throwing a little cramp in here. There he is, Trevor Levi Grishaber. Born April 27th, we're a couple weeks behind, 8 pounds, 11 ounces, 21 inches, and mom and dad are both here today. Dave and Melissa, congratulations, and we just wanted to let you know that we're excited about little Trevor. He's a cute little guy. So we wanted to share that with you. We're always excited when God increases our nursery, except for Nikki. Well, take your Bibles, turn with me. Again, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, if you would. Ask you to be praying for those of us. There's seven of us heading down on uh, Thursday this week to Angola State Penitentiary. Uh, and we will be down there ministering uh, to the prisoners, uh, to their children, and to those who bring the children to the prison next Saturday. Uh, several of our ladies will be working with, uh, with uh, mothers and aunts uh, and, and uncles who can't come into the prison. There's a program that goes on for them also that day. So uh, keep that in prayer if you would. September 6th, 1976. We were involved in the Cold War with Russia. Uh, For those who've been around, you remember that. And uh, there was a Lieutenant um, Belenko. And Lieutenant Belenko took a MiG-25. It was called the Fox Bat. And he drove that from Russia to Japan and uh, to a U.S. base in Japan and asked for asylum. Immediately he was brought to the United States and for five months he was debriefed and talked with and uh, then he became a US citizen. Jerry Bridges had a very interesting take on this story. I had heard the story some time ago and was reading this week an article by Jerry Bridges and listen to what Jerry Bridges says. Um, The Russian pilot's experience illustrates to some degree what happened to us when we died to sin and were made alive to God. He changed kingdoms. He was given a new identity, a new status. He was no longer a Russian. He was now an American. He was no longer under the rule of what was then an oppressive and totalitarian government. Now he was free to experience all the advantages and resources of living in a free and prosperous country. The former Russian pilot, however, was still the same person. He had the same personality, the same habits, the same culture patterns as he did before he flew out of Russia, but he did have a new identity and a new status. As a result of his new identity and status as a citizen in a free country, he now had the opportunity to grow as a free person, to discard the mindset of someone living under bondage, and to put off the habit patterns of a person living under the heel of a regime. Furthermore, a benefactor of our government's intelligence establishment, he was furnished in all the resources needed to make a successful transition to an American citizen. In effect, the Russian pilot died to his old identity as a Russian citizen and was made alive as a new identity as an American citizen. As an American, all the resources of our government were at his disposal to become in fact what he had become in status. But this could not have happened without first changing his status. A tremendous illustration of sort of what it means to be dead in Christ. And we introduced that concept to you last week as we looked at Romans chapter 6. Let's pray and then we're going to dive back in to Romans 6 again today. Father, we do thank you for another opportunity to be able to come and to worship you through music and through the Word of God today. And again, Father, I pray that you would take the Word of God and you would use it to speak into our hearts. Father, may we walk away today different because we've spent time in the mirror of your Word. Lord, because we've spent time and you've used your word to shed light, maybe onto some dark crevices of our life that sometimes we don't want to deal with. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to focus and pay attention for these next 25 minutes or so, Lord, that we might be able to glean what you desire through your spirit today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Last week, we. Made that turn in the book of Romans from talking about justification to talking about sanctification. Last week we shared with you justification deals with the penalty, penalty of sin, where sanctification deals with the power of sin. Justification is the declaration, and sanctification is living out that declaration. And uh, When we think about that, when we think about these things, we told you that you don't don't find the word just or sanctification in here, but we encourage you to look in the scripture and look down at verse 22 of chapter 6. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, leads to sanctification justification leads to sanctification and so we're justified we're saved in Christ and at that moment we begin the process of sanctification if you would so sanctification is progressively becoming like Jesus it's gradually becoming like Jesus or becoming holy it's becoming conformed to the image of Christ little by little. We're not going to be totally like Christ until we die and go to heaven and spend eternity with him and we'll be like him then. We will have no sin. We will not be struggling with sin any longer. I love Romans chapter 6. Uh, we, I've memorized Romans chapter 6 several times uh, over and over again. But those first verses have been weapons to me in fighting sometimes temptation that comes into my life. Those are what I call generic fighting verses. Look at this; those first two verses. What shall we say then? Shall we you in sin? Or shall we go on sinning that grace may increase or grace may abound? By no means we are what? You tell me. We are what? dead to sin. That wasn't very convincing. We are what? Dead. Dead. That's a little better, but one more time. We are Dead. dead to sin. We are dead to sin. I call these generic verses because you can put any sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in lying? God forbid. For how shall we that are dead to lying continue therein? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in stealing? God forbid. For how shall we that are dead to stealing continue therein? You can take any sin that you're struggling with and plug it into those first two verses and it's applicable. It fits. Because that's exactly what he's talking about here. We are dead to sin. As I said last week, sanctification isn't just a list of rules and regulation and a list of do's and don'ts. If you don't do this or if you do do this, you will be sanctified. Sanctification is a relationship with Christ just like justification, just like salvation. We shared with you last week three words. And we're going to continue. We talked about the word no last week. And there were some things that we learned about the word no that I want to remind you from last week. So um, the first thing I want to remind you is We know that we are baptized in Christ. We talked about this last week. At the moment of salvation, we are dunked into the body of Christ. We become part of Christ. At the moment you cry out and you say, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died for me. I believe he was buried and he rose again the third day. And I'm putting my faith and trust in that and that alone to take me to heaven. At that moment, you are baptized into Christ. That's why we believe after you're saved, the first step of obedience is believer's baptism. If you're here today and you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, I want to encourage you to consider that. It's not what this portion's talking about, but it is a picture. Because of believer's baptism, we say you're buried in the likeness of Christ. You're raised in the likeness of his his resurrection to walk in a new way of life. And that's what that second part. We also know we should walk in a new way of life. Now that I'm saved, I shouldn't do the things that I used to do. I ought to be walking in a new way of life. We know the old man is dead. And we talked about that last week, how the old man in Adam that we were introduced to in Romans chapter um, 5 is now dead in Christ. And it says the body of sin is done away with. And in a sense, that body of sin that you used to be in Adam, that's done away with. And it says we are no longer slaves. We talked about last week, we are in a new field. We are serving under a new master, Jesus Christ. Though the old master Satan will continually call us, we never go back to his field. We serve the new master, but sometimes our attention is drawing back to the old master. These things we should know. Three times Paul says, I want you to know in those first 10 verses. We told you last week that verse 10 sort of sums up the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That sort of sums up the first 10 verses. And so today we want to give you two more words that are processes of our sanctification. So let me read the text to you today, and then we'll come back and we'll look at those two words. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. I want to consider those verses this morning. We want to look at two particular words again that talk about this relationship of sanctification. In the first, he says, Count yourself to be dead to sin. Count yourself. This is an interesting term, this word count. We find it 19 different times in the book of Romans. Um, It means to impute to one's account. And we know at the moment of salvation that righteousness has been imputed to my account. There's nothing good about me. I wouldn't have gotten saved unless I was drawn to Christ. And he, when I I said, Father, I trust in you, he imputed his righteousness. He declared me righteous. When God looks down from heaven, he sees Jesus' righteousness wrapped around me. I have no righteousness at all to give. It is the righteousness of Christ. And so he says, listen, we need to count. It's a legal term. It means a privilege or a legal right here's an illustration if you have a trust fund put into your name it's no good unless you what unless you use it that's right unless you use it i mean you could have that trust fund there but unless you begin to draw and you begin to use it it's no good the trust fund should mean the end of your financial trouble it won't have that effect unless you use it so what he's saying is listen I want you to count yourself as being dead. I want you to think of yourself as being dead. Count yourself dead. There are some practical aspects of this counting yourself dead that I want to point out to you. First of all, it gives us a confidence in the midst of temptation. We're going to illustrate this to you in just a moment. But it does. When I know that I'm dead in Christ, there's a sense of confidence. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you but such as common demand, and God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but when the temp- with the temptation will provide what? You tell me. A way of escape. He will provide a way of escape. When we count ourselves dead, it helps us to understand we have this confidence because I'm dead, I can overcome temptation and temptation will come. You know, one of the greatest illustrations to me about temptation was Jesus Christ when he was tempted in the wilderness. You remember that? He was tempted three times. But at the end of that scripture, there's something that's very important that sometimes we miss in the text. Because after Christ had been tempted three times, these words, you'll find them in your Bible, and Satan left for a more opportune time. It didn't mean that he was done. Listen, temptation will always be there. It might not be an opportune time for Satan to catch you now, but he's coming back. And that's what it's saying about Jesus. He might have not gotten that time. And that listen, that wasn't the only three times that Christ was tempted in his life. He was tempted all the time. And it says that Satan left for a more opportune time. And listen, just because you have a victory today over temptation doesn't mean you're not going to have to fight that same battle again tomorrow. It's going to be there. It's always going to be there, isn't it? For me, those road signs that say 65 are there every day, aren't they? They're there every day. They don't move. There's always going to be temptation. Second, we have a confidence that we cannot sin our way out of God's grace. When I realize that I'm I'm dead to the old man, I, I, I realize, listen, this is great. I can count on this, that there's no way I can sin too much to lose the grace of God. I love John 10:27. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus said, "And I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand." Do you ever wonder sometimes? Do you ever say to yourself as a Christian man, it just seems like I've gone too far this time, God? ever say to yourself, man, I can't believe how many stinking times do I do the same sin? How many times does that same thought cross my mind? But here's the thing. Listen to me this morning. God's grace, and we saw at the end, um, listen, where sin abounds, what abounds more? You tell me. Grace. You can never go too far from God. Listen, you could have known God at one time in your life, and maybe you walk away from him, but God is so gracious. This morning in our college and career class, we were looking at the prodigal son, and, and think about it. He, he walked away, but God's grace, and even the, the older brother, who was such a hypocrite, such a Pharisee, You know, he got upset and angry, but his father showed him grace. There's nothing you can do to lose the grace of God. Third, we can truly, we can have confidence in the face of, face of death. I have been at the dying bed of so many people, and I have seen a sense of grace, of that dying grace, because they know that they are not, not only have been dead to sin, but finally they're going to be dead to sin once and for all, and there's a sense of peace. And then a confidence that all things, no matter what happens in your life, they're for the good. So when I count When I realize that I can count myself as dead, then I can, in a sense, live in these confidences. But I want to give you a practical thing here when we think about this, when it says count yourself as dead. It means to tell yourself, to act like you're dead. And so for me, when I was, I think, a junior in college, my youth pastor came back and he preached a sermon about being dead to Christ and he shared an illustration. And and for me, that's been 42 42 years ago that uh, Gary Favor was his name preached a message about being dead. And he gave me this illustration and I've used it all of my life for my own personal self. And so when I get up in the morning, And I go into the bathroom and I get my toothbrush and put my toothpaste on and look in the mirror and brushing my teeth after I say to myself, boy you're handsome. No. (laughs) After I say to myself, you're alive again today. While I'm brushing my teeth this is what I say all the time. No I don't say it out loud because I don't spit toothpaste all over the mirror. But I do say this Dick Vaughn you are dead. Dick Vaughn you are dead. And I tell myself that every morning. Dick Vaughn, you're dead. Then while I'm shaving, I remind myself, Dick Vaughn, you are dead. You're dead. That's what scripture says. You are dead to sin. I tell myself that. But you know, it doesn't end there. Because over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine, but be what? Filled. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I say this every time. Dick Vaughn, you are dead. Holy Spirit, please control me today. Please live through me today. And so I do that. In fact, I don't do that just in the morning. I do it in the bathroom. Just a few minutes ago, before I stood up to preach, BJ and I were at the mirror together, washing our hands, and I was, even though we were talking, I was thinking as I was there at the mirror, because every time I see a mirror, I think to myself, Dick, Vaughn, you are dead. Mirrors, for me, are reminders that I need to be dead, and Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, needs to live through me. And so this morning, I wanted to give all of our ladies a little gift for Mother's Day, so, hopefully you got one when you came in. A little compact mirror for your purse. If we have enough fellows, you want to pick one up for your pocket afterwards, you can do that, okay? But really, these are for mothers. It's just our way of saying we love you, mothers. And uh, if you didn't get one, you can get one on the way out. Moms and ladies, there's enough, I think, for all the ladies that are here. Also, at the end of the service, there'll be a a little flower as you're on your way out. Again, it's just uh, away from our children saying thank you to the mothers today as a gift to you. But ladies, if you have this, take it out just for a moment. Take it out. If you didn't get one, you can pick one up later. You know, I don't do it, but you do it. You, you know, put your lipstick on, you put your makeup on, and then you look to make sure what? It's on right. You know, it's not up your face or somewhere. <laughs> so you, you do that. And so I, I've often, I, I, I was in going through Lancaster the other day, and I was driving, and I looked over at this lady driving, and she had her makeup mirror Driving looking, I guess. And then we stopped at the red light and she put some more on and we drove off and she got the mirror out again and was looking while we were driving. I, I sped up real quick. So I only text when I drive. So, but the, the thing is, this is you're going to pull this mirror out occasionally and you're going to look at it. And I want it to be a reminder to you that you are Dead. You are dead to Christ. And so every time you look at it, and men, you might not have a little compact mirror to look at, but when you go into a restroom or when you're getting ready in the morning or when you look into the mirror sometime during the day, this is a reminder that I am dead. That's what it means to count myself, to reckon myself, to act like I am dead. But it doesn't stop there. And and let me show you what else the scripture says about this and we'll come back to the mirror illustration if you want to keep it out you can he goes on and says therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires he's talking about he says listen don't let sin rule in your mortal body that's our human body as i said last week our body is the beachhead of sin someday this body will be dead it will be destroyed. Because this is where sin dwells. And someday I'm going to have a resurrected body, a brand new body, a body like Christ. And it will be sinless and perfect. But until that time comes, I'm going to wrestle with sin every day. Every day I'm going to wrestle with sin. Every day you're going to wrestle with sin. And so every day, throughout the day, temptations are going to come. And it's again reminding, I must know that I'm dead, I've been buried with Christ, I'm baptized, I've risen again to walk in a new way of life. And that new way of life is about fighting sin. And so what does he say here? He says not only to count, but he says to yield or to offer. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments, righteousness or unrighteousness. So when he's talking about your members here, he's talking about your feet, your hands, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your mouth, your tongue. Your tongue. Boy, that's a tough one. Pastor preached a message one day about our tongue and how it gets out of control and we needed to put it on the altar. And the lady came up after the service, and she had been a real gossip. And she said, Pastor, I'd I'd like to put my tongue on the altar like you talked about. And he said, we don't have an altar that big. (laughs) Now, I hope that's not your problem. But listen, our tongue. But where does your tongue come from? Out of the abundance of the what? A heart, the man speaks. And so even our heart And so, for me, again, when I see a mirror, it's reminding myself, Dick Vaughn, you are dead. Holy Spirit, take control. Holy Spirit, use my tongue today to only say what you want it to say. Holy Spirit, take these hands and only use these hands to what you want them to do. Holy Spirit, help these eyes to set no evil thing before them. Holy Spirit, control my eyes, control my ears, what I hear, control these things. And that's what he's saying here, that our body is the beachhead of sin, and these instruments, these parts, can be used for the wrong things. Our feet can take us to the wrong places. Our eyes can let us view the wrong things. Our ears could let us hear things that we should turn away from from, in gossip and murmuring and complaining. We need to turn away from those things. And so this is what this scripture is saying. It says, and we're going to get there eventually over in Romans chapter 12, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your what? Your what? Your body, a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is the most reasonable thing you can do? Or it's the most reasonable worship. Do you realize when you die to self and you die, because the Bible says there, it says to be dead but alive. I'm dead, but I'm going to walk away from that mirror to live. Your greatest worship isn't here on Sunday morning. Whoa, that was a great worship service this morning, pastor. The music team was great. Boy, that was a good message. Boy, I, I really worshiped in that message. Listen to me. If that's when you're worshiped, you've missed the whole point of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beg you that you worship every day. How? By presenting your bodies a living sacrifice. That's your greatest worship. Worship. That's your greatest worship, the greatest worship for your life. If you're looking to me to provide your worship, or if you're looking for this music team to provide your worship, you've missed it. People leave churches over worship, and they've missed the whole point. Worship takes place all week through what? Through the giving of yourself, the dying of yourself, and the Holy Spirit living through you to produce love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and temperance. Those things, that's worship. We've missed this whole thing of worship. Corporate worship is important, but listen, that takes place once a week. Personal worship is a moment-by-moment Work of the Holy Spirit working through you, and you dine to self. That's what it is. That's what it is. We got it all wrong. Listen, Christian warfare with sin is waged in the body. That's why the Apostle Paul declared, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourselves. That's why Paul says, I buffeted my body and, and make it my slave, lest possibly I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul knew that his greatest struggle wasn't the co- Alexander the coppersmith. He knew, maybe it was his eye problem, I don't know, Paul knew his greatest problem was himself. And that's why he said, listen, I've got to discipline myself under righteousness, because this body so easily goes away. Holy Spirit, I'm dead. Holy Spirit, I need you to control every part of my body. That's what this scripture is telling us, to yield my body, to yield it. To decide, what does it mean? Let me give you just three things as we close here. Sum up, know the truth. In verses 3 through 10, he says, I want you to know that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. I want you to consider the truth. In verse 11, you need to decide it's true and discard your old way of thinking about sin. And thirdly, you need to present our bodies to the truth. That's having decided something is true and must change. My behavior must be what the Scripture says. Imagine what it would be like if you got up tomorrow morning and a messenger was at your door. And he says to you, I'd like to inform you that a billionaire, while you slept last night, a billionaire has deposited $100 million into your account. So you get up, the guy's at the door, he says, listen, I want to tell you that a billionaire last night deposited $100 million into your account, completely free, no strings attached, of course, after taxes. I don't know how you'd respond, but here's what I would do. Here's what I would do, three things. First, I would know the truth. I would know the truth. I'd contact my local branch, Susquehannas, who I use. I would contact Susquehanna Bank and I would say, listen, I'm just calling to verify about a deposit into my account. When you do that, when you first do that, right, okay, because I'd want to know the truth. I'd want to know the truth. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to present my body. I'm going to consider the truth. I'm going to go upstairs into my office. I'm going to take my checkbook out. Yes, I still use a checkbook. And I'm going to write $100 million in my checkbook. So see, first I'm going to know the truth. Then I'm going to consider the truth. I'm going to write it in. And the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to present my body to the truth. After a substantial donation to Mount Calvary Church and Mount Calvary Christian School, I then going to pay off a few bills, and we're going to Hawaii. (laughs) Because I'm what? I'm going to act. I'm going to act. I'm going to present my body to the truth. I'd start writing checks. I might struggle to accept the truth, of my super wealth but i would make every effort to apply the truth that's what this scripture is asking us to do more than money god has count accounted righteousness into your account grace into your account more than you can ever use and he wants us to know that i want to close this morning With reading to you Jeremiah, you know, I'd asked you last week to read the Bible differently. I asked you to read the Bible last week to see how you could see God, to see how you could see Jesus, because I reminded you that sanctification, again, is about a relationship. And the deeper my relationship is with Christ, the more. I'm going to know him, the more I'm going to count these things, and the easier it is to be able to yield when you know. The more you know, the more reality happens. I want to close with you the scripture that God gave to me this week. You find it in Jeremiah chapter 32. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Now, in the Old Testament, he's talking about the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, we have the New Testament covenant of what? Salvation. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will never stop doing good to you. I'm never going to stop. Listen to me. You may walk away, Christian. You may struggle with your sanctification. You may have some horrible days, but God is telling you, I am never going to stop doing that which is good for you. And I will inspire you to fear me. And where does wisdom start? Proverbs says wisdom starts with the fear of God. I will rejoice in doing you good, and I will assuredly plant you in the land with all my heart and soul. God is telling the people of Israel, listen to me, I'm going to do good to you, I love you. I'm going to plant you in that promised land and I'm going to continue to work, even though I know Israel, you're going to serve other gods. Even though I know all those things, I'm going to do this for you, Israel, and I want to tell you, those same promises are for you today. you find them in the New Testament. You find them, Christian. Don't let Satan discourage you with your sin. Our God is greater than any sin. And look at this. I'll make an everlasting covenant. He's given us an everlasting covenant of salvation. He is working. This process of sanctification, as hard as it is, is good. When you go through suffering, it's good. When you go through trials and tribulation, it's good. Why? Because it's God working in our lives to make us what he wants us to be. But we need to come alongside and we need to count ourselves as dead. And daily, throughout the day, present ourselves dead. Let's pray. No count and offer. No count and offer. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, "Dick, if I died today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven." And I know this wasn't a salvation message, but I'm just led today to close our service with this. If you're here today, And you'd say, Dick, I am not 100% sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Right where you sit, right there in your pew, right now, you could put your faith and trust in Christ. Right where you are, you could say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I look at my life and I see sin. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. You were buried and you rose again the third day for me. And right now, I'm putting my faith and trust in your death, your burial, and your resurrection to take me to heaven. If you will do that, and you will ask Christ to save you from your sin, and you'll pray a prayer, the prayer doesn't save you, it's the faith in what Jesus did, you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. And if you're here and you're not saved I would encourage you to do that. And then there'll be two men up front afterwards who'd love to pray with you. And then Christian, maybe you're really struggling with sin. We all do. And maybe you just say today, you know what, I think maybe I need to pray with somebody. Two of our elders will be up front at the end of the service to pray with you. Come, spend a few moments in prayer with those guys. Remember today, there are some things that we need to know. We need to count or reckon ourselves as dead And then we need to act on it by yielding our members as instruments of righteousness. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the practicality of it, Lord. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.